uh, Christmas message. This will be take four. Right, three. Here we go. Stand take by. three. Partridge in a pear tree. Hello, this is Paul. I'd just like to. Th oh, shot, sod off. I'm getting all sincere then. This week's one day with Fab. I'm Ed Chen, and I'm John Stone. Well, let's see. First off, for our little news segment, Mary McCartney's special "If These Walls Could Sing" has made its premiere on the Disney Channel. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, there's some nice stuff, and I mean, you have to recognize that a lot of the stuff coming out is not for the hardcore people. It's meant to entertain people who. Are like, oh, I didn't know that about Abbey Road, even though it's a fact that you've heard a dozen times. Yeah, it's probably closer in nature to Eight Days a Week rather than even the Beatles anthology. It has a lot of nice little bits, and there are a handful of shots and things that we haven't seen before. There was old newsreel footage of the very first session at EMI Studios, and I thought that was kind of cool. And I would have liked a little bit more of that, but we do get new interviews from Paul, although as we are learning, as we make our way through uh, Alan Cozen's book, Paul doesn't always tell the truth. Not that he's lying, but he doesn't always tell the truth. We will prefer a good story to letting you know what the facts actually are. Well, nothing should get in the way of a good story. <laughs> well, and Paul is at his heart an entertainer. <laughs> right. Why would you be talking to him otherwise? It's like, I've got to make my stories good. Or maybe he doesn't really remember it. I mean, he may genuinely believe some of what he says, and it's only Beatle fans doing a CSI on him. <laughs> you, when you folks are getting this, it is going to be Christmas Day or the day after Christmas. Merry Christmas to everybody. And since the holiday is the Monday this year, you can still say it's Christmas on the 26th. Can you? <laughs> that is the day. I also just found out the rule for that. It's If it's Saturday, the holiday is Friday. If it's Sunday, the holiday is Monday. That is apparently some big business rule. <laughs> In the big book of business. 
that is what our HR person told me. It's like, I see. Here's the rule. It's like, and it will apply pretty much anywhere you may go. It's like, okay. Well, well that's I'm good to know. Wrong. I mean, it's good to know it's not just a company rule. They're just not making things up. So, uh, anyway, right. since, so since we are still in the middle of Christmas, we're going to spend this week talking about Beatles and related Christmas messages. They were connected with Christmas, weren't they? They did a lot of that. Do you know why? or how Tony Barrow came to the idea of them doing it and when I guess it would have been sometime in mid 63. Right. I don't know the specifics of it. You know, flexi discs were popular for a while. You get them on newspapers or magazines or uh, on the back of a cereal box. So, you know, it might've been just a, an idea that was around. And there were a handful of acts who had done something for their fan clubs at Christmas, including, you know, little records that went out. But it wasn't exactly a common thing. All right. We move on to the end of the year, the end of a really big year for the Beatles, uh, <laughs> 1963, and they decide, okay, we're going to do this flexi disc, this little record that we're going to send out to our fans. Right. They had a, a script by Tony Barrow. I don't know how much of it was written out, but it probably had, think these people mentioned this, mentioned that. But there's a lot of Beatle ad libs all through the disc. And the singing of fractured Christmas carols. Funny songs and accents. This is probably one of the first bootlegs I bought. It was just weird to hear all this stuff because, you know, I didn't hear it in the United States. Even if you remember the fan club, you wouldn't have necessarily heard it. I mean, in 63, obviously, we didn't know who they were, so... Right. There is very little of an American fan club. There is no market for it. <laughs> yeah. In 64, they edited, and why they had to edit a five-minute flexi down is beyond me, the 63 record, probably to cut out some of those references to, to Love Me Do and uh, topping the bill at the London Palladium. I don't know. I've never heard the edited version, but yeah. but that went out to fans in 64. Uh. The U.S. did not put out the 65, 66, or 67 records. We got the 68 Flexi in the 67 sleeve. That Dave Dexter. <laughs> I don't think Dave Dexter had anything to do with that. <laughs> Unless he found his way into Apple. And that is an interesting question. Is it because of Apple that they uh, even put it out in the States in 68? Yeah. Oh, gee, we haven't been doing this. Maybe we should. The 69 was the one and only time the exact Christmas record in the exact packaging went out in the States at the same time as the British Flexi. Yeah. They just didn't have their stuff together. <laughs> it was sort of made up for in 70. We got a much nicer looking cover to the Christmas record than the British one. Right. Well, we're going to take this chronologically. I have some comments about that last record. We'll get to them towards the end of the show. All right. Unless there's something that has to be told or said right now. No, everybody stick around for what I have to say at the end of this show. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen As the slow ray round about, deep and crisp and crispy Brightly showed the boot last night on the musty cruel Henry Hall and David Lloyd, Betty Grable too 
John is having fun, uh, particularly with King Winslet's loss. There are some things about this particular record that are interesting to me. They don't mention She Loves You, which at that moment when they record this is a monster record. There was nothing like it. Or I Want to Hold Your Hand. They actually recorded this on the day they recorded I Want to Hold Your Hand. I just think that's interesting. There's moments in this record they're all kind of introducing themselves and saying the things that tony barrow wants them to say and ringo starts to speak when he gets to the part where he's talking about his past history with other groups he's quickly redirected <laughs> it's like yes. that's not really part of the story we want to put in here yeah that's weird on tango shun on den krispon even yeah den krispon either shun yeah that's weird wonder shun boy tango shun yeah ringo hello ringo here as you know i was the last member to join the beatles i started to play drums in the group 1962 <laughs> i've been <laughs> a couple of other groups oh just wish oh. the people wish merry the- happy go mm. on for christmas christmas merry happy new year and folks happy christmas and may May everything you wish be granted. Singers Wenceslas, King Wenceslas. King Wenceslas. King Wenceslas last looked down on the feast of Stephen when the snow was on the ground, deep and crisp and even. Yeah, but you really get a great sense of John's sense of wordplay. When he sings deep and crisp and crispy, the way he used words was different. Brilliant. We enjoy that very kindly. Well, and then you compare it to what we've been talking about, you you know, the introductions between songs on the radio shows. They weren't allowed to do anything, were they? Right. Sit here and play the music and (laughs) read the cards. That's what we want you to do. We don't want anything iffy. It's also kind of cute that Paul discusses jelly babies. Somebody asked us if we still like jelly babies. Well, we used to like them. In fact, we loved them. And we said so in one of the papers, you see. Ever since then, we've been getting them in boxes, packets, and crates. Anyway, we've gone right off jelly babies, you see. But we do like these other things. Peppermint creams and chocolate drops and Dolly Mitchells and all that sort of things. Yes, on. yes, oh yes. Continues in that. The whole record is a boy band product. They're cute. They're cute. And funny. Which you can't necessarily say for the contemporary boy bands. I don't think of BTS as necessarily being all that funny. No, and I would agree. But it's all very cute, I guess, is the only way I could say it. It's almost like a fan magazine on record. Well, it's energetic. They definitely want to talk to their fans as much as they can here. Really, because they can't in any other way. Beatlemania had gotten big enough at this point that they really couldn't go out and actually make a connection to any of their fans. So here's their opportunity. Yeah. But I do understand what you're saying, and I don't disagree with it. It is a product of a mass hysteria. And it's like John Lennon says, they were at the center of it. It's interesting that you can really mark the development of them through these records because they'll be the boy band again next year to a degree by the third year it's like oh my god (laughs) you know but we'll take that as it comes but even with that you know their personalities are on display 
Yes, for sure. This is where you get John is the one who's sarcastic and Paul is the pretty one and Ringo, oh, Ringo's there. And George, well, I mean, what's funny is that George is actually really the sarcastic one. Thank you, Ringo. We'll phone you. John is kind of the dangerous one almost. You don't know what John's going to do. Yeah, das wird untangeschön und den Christmann eben. Ja, den Christmann eben schon. Ja, das wird wunderschön, boy. Dankeschön. Ja, Ringo. The other thing which comes out of this record, this is where George says thanks to the fan club secretaries. Good old Frida. Nobody else has said anything yet about our fan club secretaries and Collingham and Betty, you know, Rose. <laughs> Not to mention Frida Kelly in Liverpool. Good old Frida! Well... One of those young ladies did not actually exist. Right. Now, that you could probably associate as a boy band thing. <laughs> right. We're going to create a fan club secretary who we can hire various models for because no one will remember what this girl was supposed to look like. <laughs> and she will model all of our nice beetle product that has to go out and be worn by all of the young ladies out there. Yeah, isn't that kind of weird? I mean, somebody had to come up with that. It's like, that's brilliant. Let's just have... A fictional fan club secretary. <laughs> a name. That was 63. Almost immediately after that, went to France and went to America and all hell broke loose. So by the time they got to the 64 Christmas greetings, it was the whirlwind that conquered the world. Pretty much. So the 64 record, another Beatles Christmas record, was recorded on the 26th and... 27th of October, 1964. A session for what you're doing and Honey Don't. They're a little bit less chatty than they were the first time around. They've grown up a little bit in the ensuing year. For sure. And it is a Tony Barrow script, again. But on this record, you know, John's humor is all over this one. And he makes fun of the script a lot. John, John speaking. Thanks all of you who bought me book. Thank you, folks, for buying it. It was very handy. And there's another one out pretty soon, it says here. Hope you buy that too. It'll be the usual rubbish, but it won't cost much. You see, that's the bargain we're going to strike up. I write them in my spare time, it says here. It's been a busy year. Did you write this yourself? No. It's somebody's bad hand rotor. Well, I mean, you know, right off the bat, Paul says, we don't know where we'd be without you, and John shoots right back, well, in the Army. In the Army, yeah. Was it George talks about their next film being in color, and John goes, green. A gag that they would reuse uh, in the BBC. Paul makes a little mistake, which is a lot of fun. To... Oh, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the records <laughs> as much as we've enjoyed melting them. <laughs> no, 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 that's wrong, making them. <laughs> Think that was a mistake? Or, I don't know. It might have been. Maybe. I think it probably was starting off a Freudian slip, but then they decided, oh, that's good. <laughs> right. Don't change that. I wrote down <laughs> something that you often say or posit because of a lot of the things that John says and does through this. I wrote, is he stoned? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just recently got back from... America and Bob Dylan, and it just seems like... They're happy. Very happy, yes. Well, that's about all, I think. (laughs) Set to wish you all a happy Christmas and a very new year. They might have had some herbal jazz cigarettes somewhere along the way, but I don't think they're overly stoned. We will soon hear what it sounds like when they're overly stoned. Hello, people. I'd like to thank all the ones that have bought my book, because it's very handy. And also, I'd like to tell you, there's another one coming out, which I hope you'll buy also. 
And thank you for all the birthday presents, because it was my birthday. Thank you. Over to... George! Uh, thank you, John. <coughs> thank you. The other thing is we do have some outtakes from this session. We've got two copies of just about the whole speech, and then we've got some little interstitials, and you can see how they change things. Right. You're in the writer's room. The biggest thing that they changed is they got the song Hello, Dolly stuck in their heads. <laughs> Dolly. Yeah. Dolly. 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 Throughout the record. Yeah, you're throwing Hello Dolly references. That certainly had a copyright. Well, for sure, and you know. and that would become a, a big issue for them. Although it's clearly parody, so they were probably covered. Certainly in the states, they were covered. I don't know. I would guess a comparable law exists in Britain. I noted that they closed this record with an old song. Can you wash your father's father's hair? Oh, can you wash your father's hair? Oh, can you wash your father's hair? Oh, can you wash it clean? Oh, can you wash your father's hair? Oh, can you wash it clean? Christmas! Happy Christmas! Happy Christmas! Can you wash your father's shirt? Can you wash it clean? Can you wash your father's shirt and leave it on the green? Yeah, it's in, like an Irish folk song or something. Yeah, probably not in copyright. I think that would become much more of an issue to them. They talk about the studio, and they talk about being the same old studio since Love Me Do. That is actually a pretty large revelation for a band like that, as you called them, a boy band at the time, to talk about the studio and the work that they do in the studio. They had reached a point where they could recognize that people just wanted to hear every little detail that they could get. You could see them them sharing that where other groups wouldn't. Uh, John makes a reference to... It's been a busy year, Beetle Peetles. Do you think he was referencing the German thing? Yeah, probably, but he just speaks funny at times. It's clearly just kind of what comes out of his head. He has to have been tremendously amused by the fact that they were the Beat Brothers because, well... Beatles sounds like Peatles, which is German slang for, well, male genitalia. Right. This is where he talks about somebody's bad hand rotor in page two. <laughs> page two. And this is only their second record. <laughs> They're already like, this is silly. It's not like it is with some of the BBC intros where it's like, I, you know, like the last show that we just talked about where George is like, yeah, right. Yeah. I'm not interested in that. <laughs> right. So, you know, it, it ends with them uh, shouting Happy Christmas to everybody. Happy Christmas! Happy Christmas! Happy Christmas! In a way not too terribly different from how Happy Christmas Wars Over would end. A decade later. True. So what we didn't mention is that they were also doing a run of Christmas shows in both 63 and 64. Brian conned them into it. By 65, they would absolutely refuse. Yeah, it was kind of hokey. More or less, that's true pantomime. Uh, yeah. We don't really have pantomime here in the States. But in Britain, it's an annual tradition. 
You take the kids to it. It's meant to be all around family entertainment. They typically adapt uh, fairy tales or old classic stories and just throw lots and lots of really silly lines into it. And then there's audience interactions. They shout back to the performers on stage. If you've ever seen Around the Beatles TV special, then you'll see a pantomime. They do a thing of uh, Shakespeare and it's that kind of interaction with the audience shouting back. And That is what Brian had them do for both 63 and 64. Uh, it's more of the kind of thing that we've been saying, the stuff that John really kind of hated. Right. A couple of years in the music scene, and you have people that you admire and you like, and so-and-so is kind of a serious musician. You know, everybody's talking. John didn't want to be in a boy band anymore. He was certainly willing to do that to make it, but at this point, it's like he's kind of over it, over that aspect of it. We get an interview from the theater where they're doing the 64 Christmas show, which is a really kind of an interesting interview. We, we get the raw tape and we get the final produced version on this set. The set is called unforgettable, by the way, for reasons we will disclose very shortly. It's about a 15 to 20 minute interview, a lot of general Beatles stuff, but right up front, they talk about the show. George in particular doesn't like the script. He says it's not nearly as good as the one we had last year. Which you prefer mostly, doing the sketches or doing your numbers? I think doing our numbers best. The sketches are lousy. <laughs> yeah. The sketches this year aren't as good as last year's. But, you know, we didn't really have enough time to make them any better. So but we prefer doing our act now at the end. And then they talk about having to get up, play their set, and that that's their favorite thing of the whole evening is actually getting to do their concert for everybody. The rest of it is just kind of, well... It's something we have to do. In order to be that kind of show. Then the back half of this interview, each of the Beatles refers to some of their old friends, which is really nice to hear. Um, yeah, I'd like to send one to the two mates of mine who were at school and always getting kicked out with me, called Kelly and Workman. And it's Tony Workman and Arthur Kelly, if you're listening. Get a job. <laughs> <laughs> hello, how are you? And all the best. I'd like to say hello to Ivan Vaughan, who used to go to school with me. And his birthday is the same day. And he also used to play TGS bass with the group. He just got married recently. So to Ivan, his wife, hello there. I'd like to say hello to all the uh, fellas who used to go to school with me at the Liverpool Institute. And in fact, some of the fellas who are still there. And uh, also all the birds across the road at the Blackburn House School. Thank you. Oh, well, I'll, I'll send a message to my old pal Pete Shotton up in Liverpool. He used to go to school with me, and he also played washboard for the group and we were the quarry men. See you around, Pete. Give me love to your wife, eh? Ta-ra. Chris, can you play I Don't Want to Spoil the Party for an old workmate of mine called Roy Trafford and his wife and his kid and all his family because they're all great friends. And hope to see you soon, Roy, because he likes country and western music and that's sort of country music. You know, th these are names which we've become familiar with, but at the time it would have been, oh, well, that's cool. They kind of all name their good friends. And then they bring it back around to George, and, and George wonders where another old bass player from the Quarrymen uh, <laughs> was. Um, hello. I'd like to send a request to somebody who I used to go to school with, too, and he used to play bass in the group, Paul McCartney. And if you're, <laughs> and if you're listening, Paul, at work, <laughs> it was great going to school with you, and we had a nice time, and I'd like to play a nice one called uh, Love Me Do. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's genuinely funny. Yes, it is. So now we get to 1965. 1965, they were having troubles, and there were also lots and lots of Christmas records, only one of which got released. Right. Let's start with Paul's Christmas record, because that's probably the easiest to talk about. Paul made up a tape, and it was really sort of a mixtape for the other Beatles. Yeah. Had songs that he liked. And he narrated the whole thing as if he was kind of an American disc jockey and that it was a radio program. I think maybe not an American disc jockey, more like the pirate radio. Because remember, pirate radio was becoming a, a big thing at that point in time. You're tuned to Radio Caroline, England's first commercial radio station. The time is exactly three o'clock. This is Simon D here with another hour left of soundtrack so i hope you stick around radio pauline is what he calls it but he puts on an accent that is not british yes thank you peter and god thank you peter thank you god and here we are let me remind you you're now at the saint paul school dance in the honor presence of mr patrick kerr and innumerable others and i think the chattiness of the dj is more american than the way they did it in britain quite possibly the record starts with unforgettable which well i mean you know there's your christmas connection <laughs> it's just that king cole it's not like he's doing the christmas song or... then we also get martha reeves and the vandellas we get peter and gordon and we get peter actually coming and guesting with them i guess went out the door knocked on the door across the hall peter i need a guest <laughs> you think it was done up in his room i would think so that's funny I think he probably did it on his own private little tape machine. Right. That first Peter and Gordon song is pretty good. A little bit more rocking than I uh, normally hear from Peter and Gordon. Well, but I like Peter and Gordon. I like Peter and Gordon more than you do, I think. Do you? They're not my favorite, but I do I do like them a lot. I like them. Then it ends with the Rolling Stones. And now, coming up, we have that group that was once popular in the 1960s. It's the Rolling Stones singing down home, yeah. And the record just ends once the Stones record is over with. Once Paul finished up this tape, he went down to Dick James and had four acetates made up. Each of them got one, and for the longest time, it was thought that, oh, this is possibly the rarest Beatles-related thing ever. Although we did have that Sinatra record, which supposedly there was only ever one copy of. The Lady is a Champ. She married Ringo, and she could have had Paul. That's why the lady is a champ. For Maureen. But I mean, there had to have been one more than one copy or the tape has to have existed somewhere because obviously we have it. Supposedly one copy was pressed up and given to Maureen and the tape was destroyed, but guess not. <laughs> right. Another one of those just kind of really amazing things. It's like, Oh, there's one copy. Oh, there's four copies of this. And that's all there is. And it's come out on bootleg. Yeah, you know, there's supposedly a tape of Brian freaking out on acid and 
screaming and wailing and everything. And I'm just waiting for that to come out. <laughs> Someone's got that somewhere. It'll be in an Atmos mix. If someone has heard it, then it probably does still exist. What is currently believed is when Yoko turned over her archives to the Lost London Tapes people, there was a tape of the acetate in it somewhere, and someone made a dub. And that is the reason we have Paul's Christmas record. Well, I had imagined it being a little bit more challenging than it actually is, but... It's just a little bit of fun, and mixtapes before such things were (laughs) commonplace. Right. Why Paul is gifting these songs to the other Beatles, other than just, I like them, it's like, well... Uh, okay. Uh, all right. If you like this record, wouldn't they have already gone out and bought it? Maybe not. You and I probably have basically the same reaction. It's like, okay, that's something. It's worth it for a seeing what records Paul was enjoying at the time. Right. They were clearly his favorites. And he does just enough of the little DJ voice for it not to get annoying. <laughs> yeah. Says you kind of remains fun throughout the whole thing that was paul's personal christmas message from 1965 but otherwise the beatles had a heck of a time getting the 65 christmas message down yeah they did we know of at least two recording sessions which we'll talk about plus the think for yourself tape which we've kind of mentioned a little bit was apparently recorded in its entirety because george martin was looking for something they might be able to pull out and use in the Christmas record. (laughs) Right. So, you know, the question we had before, why did he leave the tape running? Oh, you know, apparently he had told them at some point in time, I'm just going to leave the tape running. Do what you do. You know, maybe we'll find something funny and use it in the Christmas record. (laughs) Yeah. And there's some funny stuff in that, actually. But is it funny in the way that it could be used in a Christmas record? I don't know, that little back and forth about, you know, I don't know if I can do it verbatim, but it's like, uh, and whose father was it that rented the hall? <laughs> you know? oh, yeah, that's true. The first session, I don't even know why they tried to do a Christmas record session. George wasn't around. <laughs> that's a question. You have John, Paul, and Ringo in the studio, and it's not their studio, it's not DMI, they're at Marquee Studios. And for those who who beg for the details, Marquee Studios, which was affiliated with the Marquee Club, this was pressed to an acetate, and that acetate eventually got sold, which is why we have this recording in its entirety. It's another one which is kind of, it's okay, but you can clearly see why none of it was going to work for the Christmas record. Yeah, they were just trying to wing it. You know, they, you, they had a script and they were they were reading on and off from the script, but it doesn't hold together. Although I do like Ringo's impression of George. Okay. Sound effect, rough wind. <laughs> and next we take you over to a wind-making factory, factory. in the suburbs of suburbs Dingle, Dingle Garden City. City. Here we're going to listen, to, going to listen to the Undersecretary. The university, wonderful job. For the Amalgamated Winemakers Union. George Harrison, member of the Distinguished Order of Moss Empire. <laughs> Addressing his fellow workers. 
Thank you, Stanley. Right, lads, this has been a wonderful year for wind, but we can do even better yet. We must put all our feet forward and our hands and to the stomach, stomach pump. pump and our noses to, to the grindstone pump. The, the Japs are bringing out a new Gale Force 5 that's going to blow the wind of change through the darkness of continental Wales. They never know that's not George. <laughs> what I find kind of interesting is it seems like they were already looking forward to what they would do in ensuing years, particularly the next year. This is much more of the let's come up with little scenarios and do little skits around them. I can see that, but there's also stuff that didn't make it on the record that's just meandering and it doesn't really work. It wasn't going to work unless it was more scripted out and they just didn't have it at that point. And also keep in mind that, you know, when they were doing this, they were working on Rubber Soul. They were kind of in a different place than doing another Tony Barrow kind of thank you for the presents and the gifts. And, you know, um, so what they ended up with was John does a multitude of voices through this. One point he does a singing in a Scottish accent, and it's great. You know, he's making up the words. The holly the mustard went out one Christmas night. <laughs> I wanted it. How did you do that one? The holly did you do that? I don't know that one. I don't know the tune. Uh, on the first day of Christmas, like true love baked a cake. Good blimey 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 cake. And a parson in his pear tree. But it's just completely inappropriate for the purpose. <laughs> well, you know, at, at one point, John uses his dirty, mumbly voice. You know, that. He doesn't quite mumble enough. <laughs> right. So, so that was the first attempt at a 1965 Christmas record. The second attempt, they were in the studio and all four of them were there. And, well, they're kind of letting the sound effects do the work. What's happening, gentlemen? Well, well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the recording studios. Conditions in here today aren't what we'd hoped, but um, we're certainly going to have a bash at producing another Smasheroo Christmas record. Right. You know, it starts with harsh winter sound effects and Paul going on about how it's a horrible day to try and do a festive recording and so on and so forth. Still not working. <laughs> Then it goes off into a weird sequence with Ringo kind of play acting, and they keep saying that Ringo has dropped his script in the river. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, there, there's a river theme running through this because later on they'll refer to it again the River Jordan. And then it's followed by what is probably the most surprising piece the sound effects go off on a baby crying, or several babies crying. Right. And then they dis discuss dismembering the bodies. <laughs> yeah, which which, uh, which for some reason turns John and George in the direction of, oh, we're, we're slicing up these babies and we need fresher babies. This isn't the baby we used in the test, but we got Mrs. Williamson to slice up a fresher baby. <laughs> and here there's the baby now in the, in the process of being sliced. Right. 
and candies. I mean, perhaps they're going to package them so that nobody gets any of the large pieces of baby. You'll get the tender portions of baby. And and they go on back and forth until Paul's finally like, I've seen it. It's terrible. <laughs> it's not a very pretty sight, I can tell you. It's not a very pretty sight seeing a little baby sliced up on a on a slicing machine. It's not too pretty, folks. Do you mean those uh, little saw white spots in the back? Particularly in light of the butcher cover. Except it's not there yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's like maybe the Beatles had some input <laughs> input into Robert Whitaker's uh, triptych. Right. Now, granted, this is not completely original. This idea of children being used as food stock has been around in British literature for hundreds of years. Right. Which is probably what they're referring to. But they just have such glee in their voices when they're doing this. As I described it to someone else, it's somewhere between terribly troubling and amazingly hilarious. <laughs> But don't forget that, you know, popular form of entertainment over there is Punch and Judy, who's basically about beating people <laughs> horrifically. So there's that bent in the British humor. We got a couple more pieces. Yeah. The copyright thing comes up. It's bound to be copyright, that. We won't be able to use it. Who wrote it? Is it got? It's that. It's what's in there? No, it's not copyright. It's those old it's thingy. It's the Star Spangled Banner thing. Um, oh, can't it? Great. It can't be copyrights on the record. Oh, oh, all right. Well, we'll sing it then. Yeah, the copyright thing comes up, which will actually play a role in the actual released Christmas record. It's long. If you come across it, and I think most of it is on YouTube... Give it a listen, but know what you're in for. A nap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so on to the actual 1965 Christmas record. Right. Recorded the thing for yourselves. What dominates this session is they're having fun singing yesterday horribly out of tune. All my trouble seems so far away. Now it looks as though we're here to stay. I believe in yesterday. Don't forget, Christmas is coming. Oh, that reminds me. Let's do a Christmas record. Let's do a Christmas record. Yeah, what should we say? That's um, a good idea. We've got to thank everyone. And that comes up several times during the record. This is the last of the Tony Barrow style. Here's what we did last year. Thank you for the presents. Thank you for the cards. Thank you for the birthday notices. Here's some full Christmas carols and we're out. Lennon does a lot of funny voices through this again. Especially the chewed up pieces of chewing gum and the playing cards made out of knickers. Out of knickers, yeah. Yeah, it's during a point when uh, when Ringo's talking about being in the same old studio around the same old mic that John starts to sing the same old song. It's the same old song. The Four Tops. And he gets called up by George. Copyright, Johnny. It's the same old song, but a different meaning. Copyright, Johnny. Copyright, can't say that. Hey, yeah. All right, what are we going to do? What's out of copyright? John makes reference to, uh, we'll get a lilacs in an old brown shoe. No. (laughs) We'll gather lilacs, yeah. Old brown shoe, is that what gave George the idea? (laughs) Right. A phrase that rolled off his tongue. Well, I mean, we know that they kept things around in their head, but nonetheless, right. I'm not saying it is, but 
it could be. And then it takes a weird turn. It gets kind of political. Stay tuned in. It's five-way link-up. If you've enjoyed this program, tune to 293145567 megacycles. If you can't find that, drop it. As we've noted, John had no qualms about saying that if they weren't who they were, they might be in the army. That's not really an outrageous comment, but this one where when uh, he refers to the Viets several times and singing and the bodies floating and in the river Jordan. What is B-A-O-R-E? I think it's a military thing, isn't it? I don't know. That's why I'm asking. From context, it clearly is. Right. And it's not something made up because John and Paul both know what they're referring to. Right. For all the boys in B-A-O-R-E. And it's like, well, I don't know what that is. When they talk about the River Jordan, Ringo finishes up with, uh, that should cover Israel. Well, that looks as though it's about it for this year. Well, that should cover Israel. <laughs> yeah. Ringo actually gets a lot of really good comments in here. Uh, oh, and there was another one when, where they're talking about what did they do last year? Uh, what Ringo says that he stopped shaving. Well, Ringo, what have we done this year? I see you haven't shaved again. <laughs> well, Ringo, what have we done this year? I don't know what he means by that, but it's funny. Well, another point when John's doing one of his silly voices, he ends up with it's an all white policy in this group. It's kind of just kind of thrown in there and part of the the flow. But what strikes me is it was left in and went out. I mean, you'd think Tony Barrow or whoever it was that was doing this would be like, hmm, I'm not sure this is. I mean, clearly they probably could have edited anything they wanted to edit. We should take note of, of the whole sentence that John is saying there. Again, we don't want to get into another no Pakistanis thing. And don't forget the old and the new, some folks blue and some folks green. You take no notice of them, it's an all-white policy in this group. Hey, yesterday. It's not quite racial. No. However, it, it certainly had the potential of being something, but it, it kind of came and went. We move on to 66, which is the first of the very different Christmas records. I must say that the last record ends with uh, John... Claiming to be Johnny Rhythm, saying goodnight to you. <laughs> okay, put the red lights off. And this is Johnny Rhythm just saying goodnight to you all and God bless you. That's always stuck in my head for years. This is Johnny Re- Rhythm speaking to you. Something else that they would lift and use in their own records, you know, like you have Ringo saying goodnight. Right. And John saying goodbye, you know, at the end of rock and roll. Right. All right. Recorded on the 25th of November, the fourth Beatles Christmas record, the 1966 Christmas record, Everywhere is Christmas. Is it that or is it called Pantomime? It's called Pantomime, parentheses, Everywhere is Christmas. This was recorded the day after they did the take one of Strawberry Fields. So that was in the air. <laughs> Although I don't think they're high. They don't really sound high. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I just think they probably worked on this song and thought, this is great. This is not like anything we've done. And they probably really liked the direction they were headed. 
this is closest in nature to the goon show i think yeah where they're in character and doing funny voices in service to the character i have a note here is this sergeant pepper's first record (laughs) well possibly you know you can look at some of the songs that are in it and the attitude starts with paul doing everywhere it's christmas which is a big musical type song. And I think that's predominantly Paul. I mean, that's Tim doing his, his thing. Um, but all four of them are there. And I think Ringo's playing some drums there. Could be. And I think Orwenia is probably written by John. I mean, he loves made up words and it's just kind of the type of piano thing it is, is kind of where he was at. So that's two composed songs on this. Yeah. And Paul would come to do much more composition for these records than he's done in the past. Yeah, for sure. Starting here. The skits they go, Corsica in the Swiss Alps, on the veranda is a bearded man in glasses conducting a small choir. You get George and John talking about cheese and wine. It's funny. They munch on a rare cheese and... John says, wonderful stuff. Now, how do they get to the boat? Or is that just a non sequitur? It doesn't strike me as being necessarily linear. You know, they're going through and they're talking about all this stuff. And then all of a sudden they talk about being being on board the mess on the HMS Tremendous. Right. Okay. And then there's the feast. Like, what is that about? Munching on a rare cheese off, you know, yodeling. And then all of a sudden there's this this feast, which apparently was recorded when everybody in the, the crew and the studio had lunch. <laughs> My king seems to be enjoying himself tonight. You know, I've not seen him on such good form since the October Festival. <laughs> now, whether or not it's any kind of story, it's funny. <laughs> it's very enjoyable. Yeah. The next bit is the one that is probably amongst my favorite bits from all the Christmas records, Podgy the Bear and Jasper. I would say that's clearly a John Lennon type story yeah it's very much something that would have been in in his own right podgy the bear and jasper were huddled around the unlit fire in the center of the room the unlit fire that's so great <laughs> they talk about getting three things and then when they discuss saying them so they won't have to write it down they leave out one of them <laughs> and they need paper because they're out of paper as well because they yeah. don't have paper to write it down on right. it's matches and candles and buns and paper so one says matches the other says candles and who will remember the buns they both will but they don't say them but they don't say them and they don't say anything about the paper ever again but that's okay. It's fine. It's a plot twist. <laughs> I guess maybe something uh, related to the ship and traveling around in a goon show fashion, the Feldman Mansions. Yeah. I think you're trying to tie them together too much. Okay. I think, I think it just kind of stands by itself. The Count is the eccentric son of Baron Landsberg, the inventor of the rack. <laughs> right. It's like, wow. 
Another, they got away with that? <laughs> it reminds me of the Ruddles and Chastity, whose father was the inventor of World War II. <laughs> and it's Sean and Ringo. Ringo's the butler. Guten Tag, meine Damen und Herren. Welcome to Felton Mansions. Butler, we'll show you to your rooms. Butler! Yes, sir. Tell the ladies and gentlemen to their rooms. Yes, sir. Come this way, please. Part two, then it becomes the count and the the pianist. Well, they're all melody, aren't they? And then what a great song. Please don't bring your banjo back. I know where it's been. Please don't bring your banjo back. I know where it's been. I wasn't hardly gone a day when it became the scene. Banjos, banjos, all the time. I can't forget that tune. And if I ever see another banjo, That's great. That's Eric Idle or Neil Innes. And then just to remind you, yes, everywhere it's Christmas. Yeah, that's Mal. Yes, everywhere it's Christmas. We'll have to hear from Ken Womack next year on that. So then they reprise everywhere it's Christmas. Big finish. Closes with the the cast kind of congratulating each other. (laughs) That was kind of the skit-based... 67, they have some of that, but they also have some of themselves, sort of. Christmas time is here again. Ain't been around since last year. Right. Recorded the 28th of November. So this would be just before Magical Mystery Tour. I mean, they'd done Magical Mystery Tour, but it hadn't aired yet. On the sleeve, there's a credit to Apple as well. And, of course, that's before there's a label or anything. Same as on Sgt. Pepper. So my question is... Is this Sgt. Pepper's last album? (laughs) It all goes together. Sgt. Pepper had three albums, actually four. I guess you'd have to put Magical Mystery Tour in there. So it starts with what is presumably the Beatles. Uh, Well, it starts with music. Again, every one of these records starts with a little tune. Interplanetary remix, page 444. Christmas time is here again. There is a full version of that, as we've noted. Ringo recorded a cover of it on I Want to Be Santa Claus. The full version is somewhere around six minutes long. And it sounds to me like it's just a tape loop with places not sung to. And they did it all these different ways. This would be the last time they actually recorded a Christmas record together. The dialogue 
or at least most of the dialogue was recorded in at least a quasi live fashion. You know, they, they would have recorded Christmas time is here again and maybe anticipated that here's where the speaking is going to go. When you listen to the full version of it, they trade off the lead vocal. It would be Paul and then John and then George. Ringo has the uh, O-U-T spells out. Uh, but I think that also was probably a, kind of a tape loop because it just goes on and on and every chorus sounds exactly the same but they were planning to split it throughout this record clearly oh yes the boys arrive at bbc house now are these beatles or these them playing characters i don't know the boys arrive at bbc house what do you want we We have have been granted permission oh wise one (gasps) pass in peace yeah, and I think that's Victor Spinetti. This is around the time they were doing Magic Mystery Tour. So he was around. Pass in peace. A Maharishi reference? <laughs> I've got a trademark on peace. <laughs> they go into BBC House. And really, most of this record is kind of a parody of various things that would be on British radio. Commercials and news items and... You know, all sorts of things. And plenty of jam jars by the Revelers. Plenty of jam jars by the Revelers. And here it is. Plenty of jam jars, baby. Plenty of jam jars for you. Are you ready to Plenty of jam jars, baby. Plenty of jam jars for you. Get wanderlust for your trousers, wanderlust for your hair. That kind of reminds me of an SNL type thing. It's a floor wax and a dessert topping. (laughs) Kind of a commercial. And then a game show. Well, what prize have you got your eyes on? I have. Well, you've just won a trip to Denver and five others. Oh, thank you. And also, wait for it, you have been elected as independent candidate for Paddington. And how old are you? 32. And again, something else, which they actually just did on SNL not too long ago. Random person doing something completely different and getting elected for some random position. (laughs) Right. Then a little bit of a drama. Hello, I'm speaking from a call. Hello? Hello, operator? Hello, operator? I've been cut off. Hello, it's an emergency. That's the murder mystery show. That basically gives you an idea of what's going on. Uh, They'd like to thank you for a wonderful year. We'd like to thank you for a wonderful year. Thank you for a wonderful year. Carry on. Look out for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Come in. And then it ends with John, you know, doing his Jabberwocky style nonsense. In his Scottish accent again. All the best from me to you. When the beastie brangle mutton to the hell and little hen. That's how the 67 Christmas record ends. As you'll notice, the Christmas records are getting longer. The first couple were just single-sided. These, they actually had to 
press on both sides of the flexi as we approach seven and eight minutes. Getting more complicated and longer. The 68 Christmas record, they couldn't be bothered, so they gathered a bunch of tapes and handed them to their friend Kenny Everett. That's an accurate representation of what's going on. You know, they all show up. Paul's little Christmas song is kind of cool, and he does sound effects and piano bits, and it's really neat. And Happy New Year, Happy Christmas, Happy Easter, Happy Autumn, Happy Michaelmas, everybody. Happy Christmas, everybody to you. I'd like to wish everybody Happy Christmas this year of 1968, going on 69. Happy Christmas, Happy New Year, all the best to you from here. And John contributes two poems. Once upon a time, there were two balloons called Jock and Yono. They were strictly in love, bound to happen in a million years. They were together, man. Unfortunate timetable, they seemed to have previous experience, which kept calling them one way or another. You know how it is. But they battled on against overwhelming oddities, including some of their beast friends. And Ringo kind of plays out little sketches, you know, kind of loons about. At the first stroke, it will be Ringo Starr. Good evening. Hello, me dear. I didn't know you were coming. I'm not surprised. Well, I am. Certainly am. I would have thought so myself. Well, if you ask me, I think it's insane. Occasionally. Yes, me too. Twice a week sometimes. Fourteen and six. Nineteen and five safety, if you don't mind. Yes, Don't you say yes to me. I'm telling you. It's a private line, you know. Private line? I've been on this line for two years. I don't know how someone could listen to this record and not know that there was a dissatisfaction within the Beatles. Well, George even turns it over to Tiny Tim. He's barely there. We have a special guest here this evening, Mr. Tiny Tim. I'd like to ask him to say a few words. Oh, hello to you nice Beatles. Uh, It's so wonderful. And what a thrill it is talking here. He was in Los Angeles at the time. Yeah, he does it over the phone, actually. He was hanging out with various folks, producing a record for Jackie Lomax, and, well, I guess he ran into Tiny Tim somewhere. John's poem, and we do get more complete, unfaded versions on this disc, which is kind of cool. It's real interesting to me that heading into the Get Back sessions, that John has offered this scathing little ditty (laughs) called Chacanyono. Well, exactly. You read through it. They battled on against overwhelming oddities, including some of their beast friends. Yeah. Who is he talking about? That's kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> you, <laughs> right. you listen to this record, even without the benefit of hindsight, you listen to this record, they're breaking up. <laughs> Paul is in Portugal right now with Hunter Davies going, what the hell? <laughs> Although I do like, luckily this did not kill them. And they weren't banned from the Olympic Games. Right. And 68 would have been the summer of the Olympics, so. In Mexico City. They're interesting little things. The, the second poem, 
Once upon a pool table, there limped a short-haired butcher's boy. By the way of Ostergrad, it comes in sentence cesspool at a wick airport. He does a lot of wordplay. He mentions handbag as kind of two different words that work together. And he mentions Winchester Cathedral. Was that song out yet? Oh, yeah. Okay, so that is what he's referencing. Right. Uh, their loss was our Gainsborough nil. Let's so <laughs> He's still a little bit scathing, but he's having fun. Yeah. And Yoko's not in it, which won't be the, the case next year. At one point, he says... "What We're indebted to the colloquial office for its immediate disposal, Aronowitz. What he does is he takes the last syllable of disposal and then says Aronowitz, which becomes, of course, Al Aronowitz, which Bob Dylan's guy. I think he was a newspaper man. They call me the godfather of rock journalism. They call him the godfather of rock journalism. That person you hear uh, is Mr. Al Aronowitz. You seem rather proud, and maybe you should be, that you were not only the one who kind of brought Bob Dylan and the Beatles to kind of meet together and just hang out a little bit. Well, I but, thought it was I thought it was a great meeting. I thought what was going to happen had did happen. You know, now what has happened? The world has great music because of it. I mean, the, the, the Beatles started writing great lyrics, and Dylan started inventing folk rock. Well, yeah, but there was also the added element of you were giving them. You know, you got them all stoned. Yeah, well, Dylan was getting stoned on, you know, he didn't need me to get him <laughs> And the Beatles were pretty much clean? I mean, I'm sure yeah, they were well, I drunks. Thought, you know, yeah. I thought, I couldn't believe that anybody who made such beautiful music as the Beatles had didn't know about marijuana. Jock and Yono is clearly John getting something off of his mind. Yeah, but they're still kind of together, man. Yeah, except for George and Tiny Tim. Yeah, but they're not pushing their own agendas necessarily. That is true. The next record definitely does that. And I do like that we get a mention of Miss Jill. <laughs> you can't have Tiny Tim without Miss Jill, so. <laughs> Each one of these records is kind of a mirror image of the progression that was going on, both in their music and in their lives. This record is very much the Bizarro World version of the White Album. Yeah, I can see that. And despite that, everything still manages to come together. Yeah, it's not what it was, but yes, it's it still works. It's still a fun record. On to the seventh Christmas record in 1969, released the 19th of December, nearly eight minutes. It's mostly John and Yoko's Christmas record, to be honest with you. It's interesting that this record exists because, you know, internally they were broken up. They'd broken up in September. And so this Beatles project was kind of a facade or perhaps something that would avoid questions as to why it wasn't there. Well, remember, Alan Klein was very much trying to keep it under wraps for another few months. Right. But I don't know that the fact that they didn't put out a Christmas record would screw his business deal up. Probably not, but it would it would still certainly cause some people to ask some questions. Yeah. Coincidentally, December 69 was the last issue of the Beatles Monthly magazine. So, so you know, there, there was a definite feeling of we're closing the door here because it's a train wreck of a production. <laughs> <laughs> There's still some bits that I like. It starts off with what is a very John and Yoko thing, John and Yoko in the garden. This record is going to open with John and Yoko and close with John and Yoko. Talking about what they like to eat. What is their favorite food? I, I like that John brings up cornflakes. 
Oh, is that how he pronounced it? Well, I'd like some cornflakes prepared by Perusian hands, and I'd like it blessed by Hare Krishna Mantra. My personal belief is that one should pay attention to the way he's pronouncing that word. Okay, well, tell me. I can't, because it's a naughty word. We'll, we'll have to let the clip speak for itself. Yes, then. exactly. Well, I'd like some cornflakes uh, prepared by uh, Parisian hands, and I'd like it blessed by Hare Krishna Mantra. Which is then followed by George in his possibly only entry in here just saying happy christmas he plays games with an indian melody as he have a jolly christmas i can't do the voice because it's really odd mm-hmm. yes have a wonderful christmas have a jolly new year make sure that christmas comes once a year and then he plays with the phrase happy christmas That little Christmas song is Paul's last Beatles song. He's going to start McCartney really soon. Possibly. Uh, and of course, John and Yoko do their thing. It's got nothing to do with the Beatles. It's John and Yoko. Yeah, exactly. It's- Ringo is plugging his film. And that's all he's doing. Merry Christmas, 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 Christian. It's just a plug for the film, Ken. Try and keep it on. This is Ringo saying a Merry Christmas to everybody and a very Happy New Year. This band is broken up. Well, I, again, it follows on from 68. In 68, they were going off and doing their own things, and but they were still able to contribute. At this point, we're done. Yeah. Other than John, here's the minimum I have to contribute to this thing because, well, we have a business or we have a political need for this to happen. The Elizabethan high walls. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the Elizabethan high wall. Then we end up with 1970. The band is split. Totally, it's announced everything. Klein yep. is in control of Apple. Why issue a free album with a designed cover? So who made the decision to dedicate the attention to this? Well, especially since the cover was only for us in the States. It was pressed by Apple. The original copies all had Apple labels on. And incidentally, I really love that cover. The the cube with the different pictures on the three faces of it. I always thought that that was almost like one of the best Beatles covers ever. All the Brits got is a a lousy white sleeve with a copy of the uh, 63 record sleeve on the outside of it. Yeah. Your question is really, why didn't Klein kill it? Or why did Klein allow this thing to go through? They weren't going to make any money on it whatsoever. It just seems like an odd thing to have happen. There may have been something 
with regards to the fan club, the fact that they had still taken money into the fan club, and as you note, the monthly was done, so they kind of felt they had to return something of value for the people who did pay the subscription. And there may have even been some nominal legal obligation to do so. It's possible. I can't imagine in 1970 necessarily that there were so many new subscriptions coming in that it's like, well, let's put an album out to satisfy them. The other option is one or more or, you know, possibly even all four of the Beatles thought, you know, we've got this thing. We've never really done anything with these records. Fine. Let's put them out. Let's put them all together and just give them to whoever. And it may not be Klein or Apple that paid for it. It was kind of collectively. They said, now granted they weren't doing much collectively, but they did also care about the fans at that point. At that point in real time, McCartney has just brought suit against the others. I'm not sure that they're really cooperating much. I mean, it could have been that they all were like, just put it out because it's there. Even under Klein, Apple was a disorganized mess. <laughs> right. Klein fired enough people that he stopped the bleeding, but there were payments going out. The accounting at Apple was confused enough that as long as somebody signed off on it, even just one of them signed off on it. Okay, fine. We'll do this. Apple was kind of like an early Twitter. <laughs> uh, it would have been a small enough amount that it would have fallen beneath Alan's notice. Right. Despite what we say about Quine, I don't think he looked after every single penny. Fair enough. So I'm just glad it's here. We're able to hear it. It's really cool. And it's been legitimately released. Right. You have to thank the good people at Apple for putting copies of the singles all together in nice sleeves and releasing that as a commercial product. Although I would still like them to put it together as a CD. I know all the reasons not to. You put out a record call and call it the Beatles Christmas album. People are going to expect there's real music on it. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is a perfect product for the fans, and they've kind of dealt with it as such. I agree. I mean, it's, it's one of the things that is actually a great little product. It was a nice thing. I'll admit, I don't listen to it every year. I know a lot of people that do, but this is the first time in probably two or three years I've listened through to all seven records. Right. Every year I'll play one or two of them, but uh, you know, the whole album I, I haven't really played in a couple years but it's fun it's christmas and despite probably half the record not being especially christmasy it still feels like christmas it does great little thing no i i don't play it <laughs> religiously you're not gonna upset isaac's friend by forcing the christmas album on him <laughs> we will be back next week enjoy everybody don't eat too much we'll be back to Show number one of 2023. Mary Crimble. Good night, everybody. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by J. Young Kim. Beast or Famine Studios, San Francisco, California.
some fans. Uh, uh, bottle or two. A yeah. couple of bottles. <laughs> packets of ciggies. How about a special message from George? Yeah, a very merry happy Christmas and send me jacket back. It's <laughs> cold. <laughs> John. Uh, Gary Crimble and Manny Rudolph. Ringo. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, see you soon. Oh. Uh, lots of luck and uh, many presents and uh, Happy Crumble. That's uh, all, I think. With a song for Christmas. How about okay. that? Uh, Gary Crumble to you, Gary Crumble to you, Gary Crumble dear Rudolph, Gary Crumble me too. Two dogs had a very shiny nose. Happy Christmas, all the best. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again.